You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the official podcast of the Milwaukee Brewers. This is Brewers on Tap. Here's the pitch. A curveball! Time to tap the keg with Lane Grindle. And we welcome you to Brewers on Tap. I'm Lane Grindle with you. This is episode number 83, and it's a great time to be a Brewer as the crew in first place. Coming off a tough loss on Tuesday night to the Blue Jays, but all in all, it's been a very successful month of May for the Brewers so far. Four and two road trip that they just got back from out west to San Diego, then to Chicago. Did drop the final game in Chicago on Sunday. And then the first game of that abbreviated two-game series we were just talking about with the Blue Jays on Tuesday night. Going all the way back to last Wednesday as we recap the week, the Brewers able to come through late to win a close one against the Padres. And it was due in large part to Jet Bandy. 3-1. Line drive back up the middle base hit by Bandy. Shaw comes in to score. And the Brewers take a 2-1 lead. Then on Thursday, the crew was back at it, another close game, and this time it was Eric Sogard's turn to try and help the crew win three out of four in San Diego. At the belt, here he comes. Lined into center field, it's deep. Margot is back, it's over his head, and off the wall. Broxton scores. Arce is coming home. Eric Sogard does it again. A two-run double to cap a 12-pitch at-bat. And the Brewers take a 3-2 lead. On Friday in Chicago, the Brewers and Cubs played through awful conditions, but the crew battled through it, taking a 4-3 lead until rain delayed the contest in the sixth with the crew threatening second and third, nobody out. Don't worry, after a nearly two-hour delay, Domingo Santana came through. The 2-2 to Santana, line back up the middle into center field. Things will score. Here comes VR around third. And VR's in there safely, and the throw is airmailed back to the plate. And the Brewers extend that lead to 6-3. The crew then would drop a 4-3 game to Toronto on Tuesday night to open up the homestand. So the crew does still sit in first place in the NL Central as we talk at 25-20 and 20 overall. An afternoon game against the Blue Jays awaiting on Wednesday to wrap up that abbreviated series before the Diamondbacks come to town. All right, it's time to take a look at 82. The pitch to Cooper. Face hit on the field liner. Now let's brew up the past. The 1982 Milwaukee Brewers, of course, the only Brewers club to ever make the World Series, eventually losing to the St. Louis Cardinals in the Sud Series in seven games. But it wasn't all easy for the Brewers. Big expectations awaited them as they showed up for spring training, coming off a playoff appearance the year before under manager Buck Rogers. But the Brewers got off to a slow start at 23-24. and And on June 2nd of 1982, GM Harry Dalton decided to make the switch, firing Buck Rogers and promoting hitting coach Harvey Keene. The Brewers would respond. At the time, they were fifth in the AL East in front of only the Orioles and the Blue Jays, and they would rattle off a bunch of wins and get hot on their way to the AL East title. 
What was it about this team that made it click with Harvey Keene? That was the question posed to many of the Brewers throughout the 82 season and has been posed to them so many years after. Here is Jerry Augustine on the culture of that team. It was all about the same thing, and that was about doing what you have to do to help your team win and do and go and get your work in. And when you come in the game, you know you're going to have ups and downs. Be able to control, be able to have fun with the ups and control the downs. And I think that's what happened with that ball club. I think everybody was in the same pace. Everybody was uh, trying to do the same thing. And I really think it when they had, they went through a, a bad spot, or we went through a bad spot, I should say. You know what? It, it was like, what was the problem? And then all of a sudden, we had the problem with Buck, and, we, and Harvey took over, and then everything kind of just mellowed out. Once the team got hot and got themselves back into contention, they made some moves. And the big one, of course, bringing over Don Sutton. Don Sutton would become a workhorse in that rotation over the stretch of the regular season, starting in the final game against the Baltimore Orioles to help them clinch the AL East. And, of course, having a big part in the playoff run as well. And although Sutton came after the promotion of Keene to manager, he said this was a unique group of individuals working collectively for a common goal. We had four guys that just escaped from a state prison. We knew that. <laughs> a couple of alder boys. Uh, and then the rest of us kind of fit in right there. But there were the personalities, but the personalities were unique with other guys, not at the expense of other guys. I never saw anybody maliciously cutting people down, no vindictiveness. It was a... It was just a broad cross-section of very, very interesting people that it was fun to be a part of. The Brewers, after the move was made on June 2nd specifically, went out and responded that day alone. They beat Seattle 5-2. Cecil Cooper hit his ninth home run. Mike Caldwell got the win with a complete game, seven hits and two runs. And Don Money went 3-4 for four with a double. It was clear right away that this team is going to respond to Harvey Keene's attitude, something that Jim Gantner said really worked well with the kind of players that were on this club. I guess, you know, uh, we had Buck there. He's really a good baseball man, but uh, I think he had a little trouble. You know, we had a veteran team, and I think he was trying to overcoach us a little bit too much. A lot of the veterans got a little upset with him, and uh, so the chemistry as far as the team goes was not there. And uh, then they bring in Harvey Keene, who's a players manager and uh, he came in the first day and said you know well, this is the only meeting I'm going to have and said you know you guys I'm going to make the lineup out and all I expect you guys to do is go out and play hard and uh, do what you can do and uh, don't worry about one thing but have fun. The switch of managers on June 2nd 1982 one of the big moments as we brew up the past with the 1982 season. Now for the clubhouse conversation. You gain a lot of confidence when you come up and you have success quite quickly. Um, so it, it's, it gives you the mindset of I belong here and I can do it as long as I'm doing the things that I should be doing before and after starts. The, the last couple of days I've been coming out of the bench on the A inning and, and, you know, get, get just one at bat and just don't, don't try to do too much, just put a good at bat. Um, whenever I hunch over, the, the top of my helmet will look into the first base dugout and it's hard to hit like that. And um, that's pretty much the only thing he's really he's really noticed that I need to work on is staying tall in my upper body. And we're joined by Brewers right fielder Domingo Santana. Um, this has been a really good stretch for you. You're seeing the baseball very well. This has got to be a lot of fun right now at the plate. Um, yes, it is a lot of fun. You know, I'm excited um, just to go out there and just play. And and I'm just uh, I mean, everybody is excited in the team. You know, everybody just doing good. Um, 
You're just trying to go out there and win. When there's a different guy each night that seems to step up, Eric Sogard again last night. Obviously, Eric Thames had the big stretch. You're hot right now. When it's different guys contributing, does that make it more fun because everybody feels like they're a part of this? I mean, yeah, you know, it makes it a lot of fun because you feed from that. You know, you try to, like, um, just try to do your job, keep everything simple. If you don't, just um, share it for your other teammates, you know, to do your job, to pick you up, you know. So that's what's really been going on lately for all of us. Sunday's comeback win, really memorable. A lot of people are going to be talking about that game over the course of the year. But it showed, I thought, a lot of swagger, a lot of confidence that this team has. Do, do you sense that? Do you feel that right now, that you guys feel like it doesn't matter the matchup, we're going to do our thing, and, and we're going to score runs? I mean, yeah, I mean, everybody feels that way, you know, because everybody is getting that taste of winning, you know, or even give us a chance of winning, you know. It's, it makes It makes it a good day, you know. Even when you don't come up with a W, you know, it makes it makes it a good day because, you know, we didn't give up, you know, we didn't give in. So that's what we're trying to do. We just go out there and just prove people wrong. As a guy that's a student of the game, that works with Darnell Coles on a daily basis and Jason Lane on your swing, what are you doing right now that you feel like has gotten you uh, so much success over the last couple of weeks? I mean, just trying to stay through the middle every time, you know, just trying to stay inside the ball, you know, and just um, – uh, swing at good pitches and don't try to miss them, you know, and just put the ball in play every time. You didn't get off to the start you wanted to, and obviously that's all turned around now, but w- what was the key early compared to now? Is it what you just talked about? You weren't staying in the middle early? Um, yeah, just that was part of it, you know, and then the other part of it was the luck, you know. Sometimes I used to hit the ball really hard, you know, to spread people, but um, I'm just glad that that's over with, you know, and I just keep with my same um, approach and just keep bothering. So easy to look at the numbers, but that's a part of it. Luck, finding the holes and getting balls to drop. Is that difficult to, to weather through those types of situations and understand that, hey, look, I put a good swing on it. I can't be frustrated by that. I mean, it's difficult, but at the same time, you know, you did um, you know, you know, did your job. You know, you know, you can't de-direct de- the ball or anything. So, I mean, it just, you, you did your job, you know. After you hit the ball, you can't do nothing. So if you hit it hard, I think that's that's a good at-bat. Domingo Santana is our guest. This is the On Deck Show built by Menards here in San Diego. Now, you play the trombone, and I know last year you, you did some interviews and talked to people about your trombone playing when you grew up. Do you still play it? I mean, do you ever pick up the trombone, or is it just one of those things that you did it in elementary and high school and, and you still have one, and that's fine? Yeah, that's one of those things that you don't forget. You know, you, you did it when you were in elementary and high school. So, I mean, I just I could just pick up any trombone and just play, you know. So it's, it's fun to remember that. Did you have a favorite song? Um, just the uh, the scale, you know, just the scale. That was that was the only thing we used to play a lot. So, and that was the only thing I could remember a lot. But other than that, we used to just play, like, a lot of calypso, a lot of reggae stuff, you know, in school. But... Uh, that was really much it. Coming up on almost two years with the Brewers now, a few months away from that, you were in the Astros organization prior to that, and you were one of the young guys in that organization when they were kind of turning the corner and becoming what they are today. Do you see some similarities in, in what you were a part of in Houston and what you're a part of now in Milwaukee? I mean, yeah. I mean, we have a lot of good talent, you know, um, in the team and in the farm system. So it's really good. I think... It's really good for the young guys to to see us um, winning, you know, too, so they could, like, feed from that, you know, and help us when they come up and help us win, too. And 
I mean, I think it's it's really nice, you know. We, I mean, we feed from that, you know. So if we have a, something negative going, like it's not gonna, everything's gonna be negative. But if we have something positive, eventually everybody's gonna feed out there. Domingo, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. My thanks to Domingo Santana for joining us here as we went inside the clubhouse. All right, let's look at the future of the crew. Checking in on the farm. Hit deep and hard and far to right center field. This one is back, and this one is out of here. Three-run blast for Brett Phillips. And the Sky Sox have busted it open here, lead 15-11. to 11. That's Dan Karcher on the call as Brett Phillips now at nine home runs on the season for the Colorado Springs Sky Sox. Currently a 280 average, 33 driven in on the year, a 375 on base percentage, and a 951 OPS. He is striking out a little bit still at a 31% clip, but that's been something that's been fairly common throughout Brent Phillips' career. Garrett Cooper, by the way, for Colorado Springs, 5 for 6 on Monday. He's batting a system best 353 while recording 19 extra base hits. The Sky Sox are 25 and 15 coming into Tuesday night's action, and they sit in first place in the American Northern Division of the PCL. In Double A Biloxi, the Shuckers are rolling right now. Aaron Wilkerson was the Southern League pitcher of the week after taking a no-hitter into the seventh inning last week. Wilkerson threw again on Monday, delivered a quality start again by working seven innings and allowing three runs on five hits while striking out six. He's now pitching to a 3.53 ERA. Two so far, the righty deals and the ground balls it down the third base left field line, fair into the corner. Rounding third base, coming in to score is Bantoncourt. And into second base with an RBI double is Mauricio Dubon. And the Shuckers trail now 5-2. to two. Mauricio Dubon has reached base safely in 15 of the last 16 games. He's getting on base at a 414 clip. And he's batting 306 for the season while being a problem for opponents on the base pass, stealing 23 bases so far. The Shuckers are in first place in the Southern Division of the Southern League at 25-20. and 20, And they recently had a six-game winning streak snapped on Monday. In Class A Advanced Carolina, Jake Gatewood is still doing his thing for the Mudcats. Three for four on Monday, two doubles, a home run, a career-high six RBIs. He's now hitting 323 with seven home runs, 18 doubles while driving in 27 on the year. Corey Ray is really heating up. He's on a 19-game on-base streak, a six-game hitting streak. He's now batting 271 with 11 doubles for the Mudcats. And Corbin Burns, you really can't talk about the Mudcats without talking about him on the mound. He has put together one of the top seasons in the minor leagues so far for anybody. On Sunday, Burns tossed seven scoreless innings, allowing just three hits and struck out ten. He's pitching to an ERA of 1.00 as he's given up just six earned runs all season. He's only allowed one earned run in 26 and two-thirds innings in the month of May. The Mudcats have been surging as well, and they sit at 24-20 and 20 overall on the year. Class A Wisconsin is 20-21, and 21, and they were rained out on Tuesday. Thomas Jenkins has been a piece of the rotation for the T-Rats, and I caught up with him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you were here last year at the end of the year, and now back here again this year. What has the second go-round in Appleton been like for you? Um, it's a little been a little easier um, without uh, having to find a host family and get settled with that kind of stuff. It's been a little easier to 
know where the town's set up and coming to the park every day and knowing how everything is uh, set up around you makes things a little easier to get into your routine. Makes it easier just to think about baseball, right? Right, exactly. There's a lot of outside stuff when you get moved to a new city that you have to worry about, and uh, this season I really haven't had to worry about that, those kind of things. What did you learn on the mound last year about this level that you were able to go back in the offseason and get yourself more prepared for this go-round? Uh, just the discipline that the hitters have. Um, they're a little bit more patient at this level than I was used to seeing in uh, rookie ball out in Helena. So um, what I tried to work on was throwing uh, to corners more, and when I was throwing balls, have them be a little bit more intriguing for the hitters to swing at them if they were going to be off the plate, have them start on the plate and then finish off so that maybe they're a little more enticing for the hitters to swing at. I think you talk to anybody at every level, they talk about the discipline getting better at each level, um, and then vice versa. You hear hitters talk about, well, pitchers will throw me anything in this count, and it gets more and more that way as you go up through the levels. How hard is that to adjust to? That uh, you know, an 0-2 breaking ball might get chased at the last level, but it's not going to get chased now unless you make it look good. Right. I mean, uh, all the guys here, they have the stuff to get out. It's all about finding the consistency to execute your pitches, and uh, I think that's all we're trying to find here is just consistently be able to execute the pitch exactly how you want to and do it on a consistent basis. You have an 18-year-old in Mario Feliciano behind the behind the plate, and he's a tremendous talent. Everybody understands that he wouldn't be here at this level at 18 unless he was. How have you enjoyed working with him, and how have you seen him grow, and how mature is he for an 18-year-old to be at this level? He's very mature. He's a really fun-loving guy, too. You can tell he loves being at the field every day, so it's been really great to work with him. It's been a lot of give and take between us because I have a little bit more experience than him. So I've kind of told him a few things. He's told me some things to work on, and it's been great so far. We've had a really good line of communication with each other so far. That's got to be fun, right, to, to kind of feel each other out early on in the season and you get what he's wanting from you and vice versa? Yeah, and he's so easy to work with. He's uh, such a fun-loving guy, and you know he's always got a smile on his face. So you never see Mario down at the park, so it's always easy to work with him. and. You know, get your spirits up when you're playing with Mario. Take me through your repertoire uh, of pitches that you offer up and where your confidence level is in some. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a sinker guy, so I'm looking for early contacts, trying to get guys to hit the ball into the ground. So that's kind of how I approach my uh, starts is to try and uh, attack with my fastball, um, get some ground balls. And then if I get up on guys, then move to the, the changeup and the slider. Those are my two off-speed pitches. So those are kind of my put-away pitches where I kind of rely on my fastball to get early outs. What was baseball like for you at an early age? When did it start to come into the picture, become a big deal for you? And when did you know, hey, this is something I might be able to do? Was, I mean, it was always a big deal in my family. Uh, my dad played in college. My brothers played in college as well. So it was kind of just growing up, it was all baseball for us. That was what the spring and the summers were for. Um, I came from a really small town, so I always had dreams of playing in college and then hopefully playing from there. But uh, once I played in uh, a few summer leagues and had some success in some college summer leagues, then I knew that professionals would, could be an option for me. At the college level, when people talk about the summer leagues, um, it, it's a different, it's totally different deal. I mean, obviously you're working with wood bats in the summer leagues and you're living with a host family. Right. How, how does that provide? I don't know that it has a big impact on your college team when you come back for your junior season or whatever it might be, but how does that impact you in terms of getting ready for minor league ball? Just the maturity. You just grow up a little bit. You're living in someone else's home. You're in somewhere you've never been before, playing with guys you've never been playing with before. So you just grow up. I mean, the first few weeks when you're dealing with it, there's a large adjustment period just like there is with minor league baseball. 
But um, it was big for me. I learned a lot from those first few summers being somewhere different with different people. So um, I definitely learned to have an open mind about things and not be stuck in my ways about how I need to have this set up to get ready for a start. There's a lot of moving parts when you're living with different families. So you just learn to be flexible. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks. My thanks to Thomas Jenkins for joining us here on Brewers on Tap. All right, let's check what's coming up on the schedule. Here's what's on tap. Well, coming up on Thursday night, 7-10 start against the Diamondbacks and You Can Help Summerfest, presented by American Family Insurance, celebrate 50 years of the world's largest music festival by starting your summer jam session at the Big Gig Tailgate on May 25th, presented by Miller Coors. You'll get your Brewers ticket, a Summerfest general admission ticket, and access to a pregame tailgate at Hellfair Field, featuring live music, snacks, a koozie, and two complimentary beers. Going to be a free shirt Friday on Friday night, the 26th as well. It's a Barrel Man three-quarter shirt presented by Blue Jay Solutions. That's going to be very cool. The first 20,000 fans will get their hands on that. That's also a Miller Lite beer pin night, season seat holder appreciation day. Also, student nights, so a lot of stuff going on on Friday the 26th. And then on Saturday the 27th, uh, another theme night coming away as that is Taste of Miller Park night coming uh, to Miller Park uh, against the Diamondbacks on Saturday the 27th. That's actually an afternoon game, a 3-10 start in that one. And then Sunday at 1-10, of course, the Robin Yount bobblehead presented by U.S. Cellular will be given out as well as being a kids eat free Sunday. And the kids 16 and under will run the bases after the game against the Diamondbacks. That's coming up as this homestand continues on here at Miller Park. That is going to do it for us in this week's edition of Brewers on Tap. We thank you for joining us. Episode number 83 is in the books. Episode number 84 will be coming your way next week when the crew is on the road in New York City against the Mets. Have a great one, everybody. I'm Lane Grimmel. Brewers! Brewers!